Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. People really like to bag on the naive techno-utopianism of the early days of the World Wide Web. But, you know, there were many flavors of utopia back then on the message boards of the Internet where heretofore impossible communities could define themselves and gather around common interests. They might have lacked some polish and features and oftentimes commercial viability, But for some years there, they flourished like coral reefs in the big technological ocean. I actually had my own version of this on a UCLA basketball message board. Um, And there was another version of this that existed for many people who loved food. KQED food editor Luke Tsai has a beautiful piece on the KQED website As many of you know, Luke joins us every other week, and he found his place on the internet at Chowhound, which sadly just closed down. Welcome back, Luke, and I'm so sorry about Chowhound. Thanks so much for having me, Alexis. (laughs) So can you just tell me, how how did you come to find your your space on the internet, Chowhound? Well, I I think I was still in my 20s, um, this was probably around 2005 or 2006. I was living in Providence, Rhode Island at the time, sort of uh, like a relatively new city for me, you know, kind of far away from friends and family. Um, and, you know, I was just craving Chinese food, you know, like you couldn't believe. Um, and then I was also just seeing all these foods in, in Providence that, that I was finding that I didn't know anything about, you know, like Cape Verdean food. And I didn't have anyone to to sort of tell me about it. And so a friend of mine told me about this website called Chowhound, which um, she described as this kind of discussion forum for people who were obsessed with food, which, which I was, you know, at that time, even if, even if I didn't know it, even if I wouldn't have described myself um, that way. And so what I found was this uh, amazing website, which was not you know, it was not attractive at all. You know, this was like... This, I liked your line. Mid- you said it did not have a single <laughs> bell nor whistle. <laughs> yeah. This was like the mid-2000s. And even then, it felt like a throwback, you know, to, to, to like 
the the bulletin board systems when I was like a teenager in high school and I would log on, you know, and have these like esoteric arguments with strangers on the internet, um, all text, you know, I think I, I was using Chowhound for 10 years and I never figured out how to post a photo um, on there. And there'd be these long meandering discussion threads, you know, 200 posts of people having these kind of obscure arguments about like what province in China this like particular type of vinegar like actually originated from you know and this and, is and extremely like your thing Luke Sai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like really knowledgeable um, people and people who loved food and you know and so what I found though was like no matter what the thing was that I was craving no matter what the thing was that I'd been looking for for three years and like couldn't find anywhere. There would be a post, there would be a thread on Chowhound with like five other people who loved the same thing as me and who knew exactly where to get it. <laughs> right. Um, and so, and so I was just drawn into this community and I basically for the next 10 years, you know, even before I became a food writer, um, that was my outlet. That was, that was sort of my, my home, my community. <laughs> We're talking with KQED food editor Luke Sai about Chowhound his beloved message board uh, closed last month. We want to hear from you too. We know that there uh, are a lot of people in the Bay Area who were on Chowhound. What was your favorite Chowhound recommendation? And did you find your people there? Like the, the kind of people who thought about food the way that, that you do. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQD Forum, and the emails forum at kqed.org. We're also joined here this morning by Melanie Wong, also a frequent contributor to Chow Hound. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Good morning. <clears throat> so what was your relationship to Chow Hound? You were, you were a Bay Area Chow Hound person, right? Um, yes, mostly Bay Area, also down in the Central Coast, which is where I was born and raised. Um, and uh, I actually knew Jim Leff, the founder of Chowhound, from an earlier form on CompuServe. That's a name we don't wow. hear very CompuServe, that is a throwback. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I've been on that since 1994. Um, kind of unusual for someone who's not in tech, you know, yeah. or in um, And uh, that was uh, a wine forum. And then when he started um, Chowhound, which was in, started in New York, uh, and it started to get more inquiries uh, around 2000 from San Francisco. He asked me to take a look at it. He also asked me to talk about wine, um, you know, and it was really very much an extension of this sort of pro amateur um, discourse, you know, on on the net as it existed at that time. To you, what was a sort of chow hound post? Like what was the kind of this is the best kind of content on this particular message board? Um, oh gosh, there's so many over there. I mean, because I was there for 20 of its 25 years, but I, I would say just really to like to elevate, you know, be, you know, we certainly talked a lot about restaurant reviews and people have said, well, you know, because we put a, a big effort in these last few weeks, weeks to try to save the archive and the Wayback machine has done a yeoman's job with that. Um, you know, why would you want to save restaurant reviews? And it's really about, you know, sort of this context of being able to discuss, um, you know, foods that uh, really um, were not well known anywhere else um, outside of their own um, immigrant or ethnic communities. Um, and so that part really is 
you know, what's evergreen, even if these restaurants are closed. I mean, you would still find these hits on um, if you did, you know, for search engine, you know, and I, you know, I've met many people over the years and they're saying, Melanie, your name comes up all the time when I Google for Sichuan food or I Google, you know, um, uh, certain things. I mean, and I think that, you know, some of our influence has been, I mean, you know, we can talk about other things besides Chinese regional, but, you know, I really wanted people to be able to use the name for dishes. You know, when I first heard of a soup dumpling from Joe's Shanghai in New York, I had no idea what that was until someone told me that that was a Shanghai Xiaolongbao. And I said, you know, look, people know how to say taco. They know how to say um, creme brulee. They can learn how to say Xiaolongbao. And so <laughs> we, we, so now you see that that's at, here, particularly on the West Coast, we don't say soup dumplings. We actually say Xiaolongbao mm-hmm. or, we say, or, or we abbreviate it as XLB, you know. And so I like to like Chowhound to take credit for really, um, you know, getting people to dig a little deeper into these cuisines. I mean, and certainly we saw the trend in terms of the rise of Burmese food or Turkish restaurants here in the Bay Area, where, you know, where there were many, many restaurateurs uh, that were from Turkey and had, you know, very um, talented chefs, but they just weren't confident enough in their own cuisine. And they ran Span- and they ran Italian restaurants for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, and others, and then finally a, a few of them broke through yeah. and they decided to serve their own food. And now we have some really incredible, you know, Turkish chefs that are making, making their waves. I mean, um, up at, uh, you know, Copia now, um, you know, their chef is from, uh, their executive chef is from Turkey, yeah. um, and had been at Nush before that in other restaurants. So I think that, you know, we could see sort of the um, changing of American um, interest in food and what they thought was uh, uh, what was worthy of discussion, what was worthy of being written about and to make it much less Eurocentric um, and um, looking at all the food of the world. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You know, Luke, you moved from being an amateur writing about food on Chowhound into being, you know, a professional food writer, not just KQD, but at other uh, key outlets before this. Do you also do you agree that kind of Chowhound was a causal force in kind of changing the way that people talked about food, in in particular, um, these other non-European uh, cuisines? Yeah, I mean, I, I def, I mean, I can speak. Personally, you know, I think, and I think I talked about this when I when I wrote my essay 
on how formative Chowhound was in basically kind of pushing me on a path to becoming a food writer. You know, uh, the Chowhound ethos, um, there was a manifesto um, that was kind of like the first boldface thing that you'd see on the site um, for many, many years, basically talked about what a Chowhound was and how a Chowhound is actually fundamentally different from a foodie. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the, I think how it went was that foodies sort of eat where they're told. Right. Um, a foodie might want to eat through every restaurant that's uh, Michelin starred or a foodie might want to like eat their way through the Eater 38. You know, just go down the list um, as a completionist because those are the good restaurants. Right. Um, and the manifesto, the Chowhound manifesto said Chowhound blaze trails. You know, they don't they don't eat where they're told they, they're out there like in the sort of unknown land <laughs> discovering deliciousness. Um, and that was a real inspiration to me, you know, like you would go on Chowhound and it'd be like, there'd be a post and it would be about like a guy who had a little smoker set up outside a gas station in West Oakland. And he'd be there from like two o'clock to five o'clock <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, on Chowhound, someone would be the person to be the first person to try that and report back, you know, and if it was good, they would sing that person's praises that that little barbecue you know smoker spot um they would sing its praises far and wide um and eventually you know some professional food writer would spot that you know and then maybe go check it out you know and i think i i think about myself just even personally as a person i was always a little bit fearful of like saying a wrong opinion, you know, like, <laughs> like, like voicing an opinion and then to be told that I was wrong or to be mocked for it, you know, like make, consider it maybe like an early proto version of like a fear of being canceled. Um, and, and, and that was like, you know, like I, I was fearful in that way, but it was like through Chowhound, I saw, you know, people were out there, you know, they weren't afraid to be the first one to try it. They weren't afraid to be the first one to sort of share it with the world. And so when I became a food writer, I think that was like the little bit of the ethos that I tried to take with me. Like, cause I didn't know what I was doing, but I just thought, you know, if, if I can write about those little places, you know, and, and a lot of that is um, those uh, sort of quote unquote ethnic, you know, those sort of immigrant uh, food communities that previously hadn't gotten so much coverage in the mainstream food media. Um, a lot of it was like, who's going to write about it? And it's a little scary writing about that because you don't have like a huge body of literature that you can lean on and you have to do your homework and you have to like talk to a lot of people. And you can't um, just use price as like a, a proxy for quality, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so, so I think Ch Chowhound really inspired me to be like a different kind of eater, you know, and, and, and then subsequently a different kind of writer as a result of that. Yeah. Melanie, were you going to jump in there? Yeah, I was just going to say that, that what was really freeing about Chowhound is that it's talked about what, you know, when uh, it uses the term deliciousness a lot, <laughs> meaning it's all about flavor. So that you didn't have to be, a, you know, a Renaissance food scholar to say this is the most authentic version of this dish on the planet and you should eat it. If you, you know, as an individual thought this tasted good to you, that was worth talking about. And other people might tell you, oh, well, here's one that I think is a little bit better, but no one can argue with what you personally consider mm -hmm. as delicious. So that allowed everyone to contribute. You know, if you were passionate about something. Tell us. 
So, Melanie, a uh, question for you from uh, David. David writes, Chow Hound was fantastic. The XLB chain was legendary. But wasn't it bought and a shadow of its former self about five years ago? Such a loss. Like, what, what happened to the site over time? Um, well, it was actually um, purchased in 2006. Um, and um, it was purchased from its founders at that time. And then it changed hands a few times. And then, and then um, two years, almost two years ago, uh, it was purchased by Red Ventures, who was the, you know, the, the owner that shut it down. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I think that also that that um, certainly the, the, you know, long form writing, you know, where, you know, Luke talks about how people would write these long essays. Well, also, it's because if we were on dial up, you were composed. <laughs> offline you know and so yeah you're sitting at your computer you know like why not turn out 500 words you know instead of you know two sentences because you're already sitting down taking that time and and that's different now you know in a mobile age so um uh, I, so i think that was part of it but i also think you know when we talk about how the site didn't have bells and whistles that actually in some ways was intentional because you had to be really passionate and and in order to get past the ugliness of the site and the difficulty of the UI um, to, um, to participate. To, to, yeah. Right. Right. It's like a little barrier to yeah. entry. Um, yeah, exactly. Have some great. Yeah. Uh, have some great comments uh, coming in. A listener tweets, it was such a good site. Like 17 years ago, I lived in LA at the time and it had introduced me to so many gems. It was great for planning meals when traveling. Bertha tweets, when I was in Brooklyn, I found Jafara's Pizza on Chow Hound and my taste buds will never be the same. Loved Chow Hound. Jonathan writes, I will miss Chow Hound. The site has been a valuable resource to me when I'm on bicycle trips across the country to find a good place to eat in the evening and a good bakery in the morning. And another listener writes, I love the messiness of Chow Hound and the strong points of view. Weirdly, I hate Yelp and Google reviews. Please don't get me started. Where <laughs> can a person go to find that Chow Hound vibe now? Luke Sai? Well, I think, I think as Melanie pointed out, it's difficult, you know, because I think the Internet has changed um, in a lot of ways. And the ways that people use the Internet has changed a lot of ways. I mean, part of it is that everyone's using it on their phone now, which I think was part of what Melanie was referring to. Um, I wrote about in my, in my essay, like there are some sort of spiritual descendants of Chow Hound. You know, so one of them is called Hungry Onion. It was founded by Hungry Onion. Got it. Yeah, Hungry Onion. And it was founded by, you know, because I think the question about what happened to Chow Hound, um, well, I think one thing that happened was that once it got bought out by these sort of big corporate interests, um, there were various efforts over the years to make it more palatable to the mainstream, you know, so like introducing a five-star rating system or like a, a sort of like tagging system to replace like the individual like regional boards, which were their own like clearly defined communities. Um, and they sort of tried to change that to make it um, kind of more like a, I don't know, a modern website in a way. And and many of the longtime users really chafed against changes that they felt like were counter to like the, the fundamental, like what made Chowhound great. So a lot of them left um, and a couple of them formed their own kind of version. So Hungry Onions, one of them. Um, there are a couple others um, that still, you know, like I think if you go there, you'll find that that kind of stripped down um, uh, aesthetic and you'll find the same sort of, um, you know, very knowledgeable, uh, very 
esoteric discussion. Um, but there has yet to be sort of one site um, that has emerged that at least that has that same sort of depth of users, you know, like the large user base so that you can really have those 200 post <laughs> threads that never end. Um, so it sort of remains to be seen what's going to happen next. But there are some folks who are trying to recreate it. Yeah. Melanie Wong, before we let you both go, really quickly, what's one food recommendation for people out there in the listenership? Um, well, probably the one that I tried the hardest during this pandemic to support uh, would be Royal Feast in Milbrae. Um, where this is a chef who um, actually competed in the Mboku store representing China. Um, it's a very rare honor. Um, and he does uh, Sichuan food and also Beijing food and also something, um, uh, Tanja Chai, which is um, uh, an imperialist cuisine. Wow. Royal Feast in Milbrae. That sounds amazing. We've been talking with KQED food editor Luke Tsai and Melanie Wong, a longtime user of Chow Hound, the message board that closed last month. Rest in peace, Chow Hound. Thanks so much for joining us, Luke and Melanie. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.